Great news, everyone. Jesus is alive and well. This is Glenn Raglan, Educational and Transformational Ministries. Great ministries. Welcome to this week's podcast. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for those who have tuned in to this week's podcast. We continue to ask for health and safety in the midst of COVID. We pray for those students who are about to go on spring break. We pray the blood of Jesus over acne. We pray that your word will go forward. It will not return to you empty. It will accomplish what you sent it to do. In the name of the bread of life, Jesus Christ, amen. We continue our study of betrayal in the Bible. And today, I want to start with Daniel, the fifth chapter, as King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for 1,000 of his nobles. As they drink wine, the king ordered that the gold and silver wine goblets taken from the temple in Jerusalem be brought in. The king and his nobles committed the sin of sacrilege, the stealing of something that had been consecrated to the service of God. My friends, this betrayal of God was met with immediate backlash as the king was killed that very night by the new conquerors of the area. Oh, but we should be so careless with the things we have consecrated to the service of God. When we decide to give our lives to Jesus Christ, we are setting ourselves apart for service to Him. When we compromise our service or suffer a case of temporary amnesia, forgetting that we are in full-time service to the Lord, we should be thankful that God doesn't take us out for sacrilege. In the book of Job, Bildad was one of Job's friends who came to comfort him, but betrayed Job by accusing him of committing evil and was getting his punishment from God. My brothers and sisters, if you go to visit your sick friend at the hospital or at their home, the last thing you want to discuss is how their sin put them in the hospital. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. In the book of Ezra, the fourth chapter, Bishlam and his associates betrayed the Jews who were rebuilding the temple and the city of Jerusalem after they had returned from exile. The betrayers were Samaritans who had been left in Judah during the Jewish exile and intermarried. They were poor who had married poor Jews, but they were despised by the Jews who were returning because they worshipped multiple gods, including Yahweh, and were thought of as half-breeds. As the rebuilding continued, the Samaritans wrote a letter to the new king betraying the current Jews as rebels and non-taxpayers. King Artaxerxes was tricked into stopping the rebuilding project. My comrades for Christ, when God is in the middle of your plans, there is nothing anyone can do to stop it. When a small group of well-to-do members of our church threatened to withhold their offerings because they were opposed to the building of a new church sanctuary, even though the church body had already voted to build. We continued with the building project, completed the building, and it is now paid in full. There is nothing too hard for God, and when resources are low, but prayers are abundant, He answers the prayers of His people. I cannot continue with the portrayal in the Bible without bringing up David, the second king of Israel. His betrayal is written in 2 Samuel chapter 11 as the king would normally be on the battlefield in the springtime, but David stayed at home in Jerusalem. As he was pacing back and forth on the roof of the palace, 
he spotted a beautiful woman bathing. David asked his servants who she was, and the answer came back that she was, one, the daughter of Iliam, one of David's mighty men, two, the granddaughter of Ahithophel, one of David's chief counselors, and three, the wife of Uriah, another one of David's mighty men. Uriah was off to war, which is where David should have been. Once David learned the identity of Bathsheba, he should have hit the brakes. But instead, he charged ahead by sending for her, and he had sex with her. Bathsheba later informed David that she was pregnant. To cover up his betrayal of Uriah, David sent for him to return from the battlefield. David's plan was to get Uriah to come home, sleep with his wife, and pin the pregnancy on him. But wouldn't you know it? Uriah refuses to go home. Even after David invites him to dinner and gets him drunk, he still refuses to go home. Now, if sleeping with Uriah's wife wasn't betrayal enough, David comes up with plan B. He drafts a letter telling Joab, his general, to put Uriah in the hottest battle, then withdraw all support around him, leaving him to fight alone. Then Uriah takes David's letter, which is his death sentence, to give to Joab. Of course, Uriah is killed, completing the betrayal. Or does it? Listen to what this one act did to David. He had an unwanted pregnancy where the law says the adulterer and the adulteress were to be stoned to death. Two, the betrayal of two close friends, Bathsheba's father and grandfather, and it betrayed God. See 2 Samuel 11 and 27. Three, the betrayal and murder of his close friend, and he marries his close friend's wife. Four, when David is confronted by Nathan, the prophet of God, in 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, David declares the guilty man should restore fourfold for taking what didn't belong to him. Then Nathan told David he was the guilty man for taking Bathsheba. God promised David in 2 Samuel 12 and 10 that violence would never leave his house. David would lose his four sons, his love child, Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah. These four sons were the fourfold restoration David unwittingly declared was owed. Number five, prior to his adult son's deaths, one son rapes his sister. One son murders another son for raping his sister. Civil war is led by one son. Eight, one son sleeps with David's concubines in broad daylight in front of all of Israel. My friends, had David known about the consequences of his actions, he may not have taken Bathsheba. But the sin of adultery traps people quickly without a way of escape. David would marry eight wives, setting the example for his son Solomon, who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. The kings of Israel either served Yahweh or served other gods. Reform would come, and the next king would either serve Yahweh or not. Jehu was one of the ultimate reformers, as he put an end to evil dynasties in 2 Kings chapters 9 and 10. But it is the way he handled the worshipers of Baal in 2 Kings 10 verses 18 through 28 that sets him apart. Jehu invited all the Baal worshippers to the temple of Baal for a sacrifice. 
he made sure all the worshipers of Baal from throughout Israel were present. Once they were assembled, Jehu put robes on all the worshipers and pretended to be a Baal worshiper himself. But Jehu betrayed the worshipers of Baal in 2 Kings 10.25 as he had 80 men go into the temple and kill everyone inside. Then they brought all the images of Baal outside and burned them. Finally, he destroyed the temple of Baal and made the area a public toilet. One of the saddest betrayals in the Bible is found in 1 Samuel 22, verses 9 through 19, when King Saul discovers that the priest had aided David, who was on the run from Saul. David had put Ahimelech, the priest, in a very vulnerable position by telling the priest that he had come to him on business of the king. David's lie would cost the priest and his family their lives. Saul accused his aides of treason in 1 Samuel 22, verses 6-8, through 8, when Doeg, who was put in charge of the aides, spoke up. He told Saul that he saw David go to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech fed David and gave him the sword of Goliath. Now Saul's anger turned from the aides to the priest. Doeg had betrayed the priest of the Lord, and Saul ordered his guards to kill them. The guards refused to kill the priest, so Saul ordered Doeg to kill 85 priests by the sword. Moreover, Doeg went to the city where the priest lived and killed everyone in the city, men, women, children, babies, oxen, donkeys, and sheep. My brothers and sisters in Christ, when a madman is placed in power, innocent lives are at risk. We live in a world that contains guards who do the right thing by refusing to shed innocent blood. And we also live with the Doegs of the world. Christians must always be the guardians of God's word and his people by standing up when it matters. Eli was a priest who had two sons who were also priests. While Eli was a godly priest, his two sons were wicked, as mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. They betrayed the office of the priest by stealing a portion of the sacrifice dedicated to God. They threatened to take by force the meat that had been brought by worshipers for the sacrifice. The threats against the people made bringing a sacrifice to the Lord repugnant. Eli's sons also betrayed the office of the priest by having sex with the women who worked at the temple. When Eli heard about the actions of his sons, he gave them a mild rebuke, which they ignored. You find that in 1 Samuel 2, verses 23 through 26. Folks, when ministers use their position for greed and power, it's only a matter of time before God steps in and exposes the darkness or eliminates the problem. So, for betraying God and the people of God, the sons of Eli were killed in battle along with 30,000 Israelite soldiers. When Eli heard that his sons were dead, he fell off the back of his chair, broke his neck, and died. Read about that in 1 Samuel 4, verses 12 through 18. Folks, the betrayal of our brothers and sisters is one thing, but the betrayal of God is a recipe for a short life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy when we betray you and teach us not to mislead others into destruction 
In the name of the great I am, Jesus Christ, amen. I continue to encourage you to find a good Bible teaching church. Send your prayer request as well as your praise reports to our email address, which is hello at greatministries.org. Please continue to pray for Great Ministries and share us with your friends, your family, your loved ones, and the unsaved. Our website is www.greatministries.org. Stay safe, be blessed, and have a great week.